Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nonprofit on the Rocks. My name is Matt Kamen. And Ashley, would you would you still call me dashing? I've said dashing. I've said handsome. How would you now today describe me? Tired. Tired. Yes. <laughs> I mean, are you talking about how I look? Are you talking about how I sound? Are you talking about how our Caymanites, you like that? How our Caymanites are thinking I sound or are tired of me? What do you no, think? No, I think... I just think you're working a lot, man. And Vision has got a lot on their plate right now. And it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. And I just want to introduce you, Ashley. So with me, as always, is Ashley Watterson. Our mediocre is what we keep saying. And I, I do want to find a new word for mediocre. So that's going to be my job. I'm too tired to look it up right now. But when I'm not, our mediocre producer. How are you today, Ashley? I am feeling good, Matt. Uh, I think we have a lot of exciting things that we are putting in this upcoming episode. So I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. So, you know, one of the things that, that we've learned, you and I together, is what makes you so mediocre is that in the 15.5 episodes that we've done, I haven't once talked about what I actually do for a living, right? <laughs> like, I haven't even told anybody what it is that I do and how I could even have started this podcast. And it's really interesting. I find it really paradoxical because you certainly aren't someone prone to humility. So the fact that you would like not be boasting about the very reason we do this podcast, which is to help bring in business to your company. I mean, it's, it's kind of staggering. It's aren't not. your partners, Allison and Suzanne, kind of like, Matt, what, what the hell? Yes. Yes, they are. First of all, by the way, I don't think they listen to this anyway. So they listen to me all day long every day. They're not listening to this. It's the and last thing they want to do. It is the last thing they want to do. It is. It is. Okay. So I'm going to really quickly just make a quick commercial for what it is that I actually do for a living because I feel like you guys need to know. Um, so I am one of the founders of Envision Consulting. And should you, any of you great listeners out there, we're going to call you Madheads, Caymanites, rock stars. Nonprofiteers, any of you listeners out there who are at a nonprofit, who are looking to change, who want to hire somebody, who want to fire your executive director, or who want like a strategic plan, for example, call us. That's what Envision Consulting does. We are a national firm across the country serving over 100 clients a year, only nonprofits. So actually, there are three things that I'm very excited about for today's episode. First is our interview with the CEO of Downtown's Women's Center, Amy Turk. It's going to be a fantastic episode. I'm very excited about it. Have you enjoyed listening to it? Yeah. You know, every time I listen to any of our episodes, I am just truly humbled <laughs> by the work that people are out there doing. Um, and Amy is absolutely no exception. Just, just such tough work, such important work. Amy is a fantastic leader. Homelessness is such a big deal right now that I think it would be interesting for folks to listen to this. The second is we have our very first commercial. We do have a promotion for a sponsor. So it's very exciting. I know. I'm very excited. We have a very first ad. And then finally, the third thing that I'm really excited about in this show is we are finally starting Matt's Plane Across the Country. And I am beyond excited to answer any of our listeners' questions about nonprofit where I get to Matt's Plane anything and everything that you want to know. Any other <laughs> words of wisdom, advice, goodness, mediocrity that you want to share? As always, I just want to remind our listeners to please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you get our podcasts. And you can also follow us at Instagram, the lovely mouthful, nonprofit underscore 
on underscore the underscore rocks. Also, you can leave us messages on our website where you can also listen to our show and and find out all about the awesome work that Envision does. And that's envisionnonprofit.com. I hope all of you enjoy our interview with Amy. And remember, somewhere through the episode, we won't tell you where, is going to be our first commercial. And then I'm at Swing Across the Country segment. Hello, Amy Turk. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? Thanks, Matt. I'm good. So, because this is Nonprofit on the Rocks. Also, by the way, for everybody to know, it's 3.30. Oh, you didn't have to tell the world. (laughs) I'm calling around. I'm calling you out, Amy. What what are you drinking? Okay, I'm really excited, actually, to share this. I've just found this new company. They're called the People's Republic of South Central um, in Los Angeles. This is their second release of a beer. This is an IPA. It's called Catalyst. And they're highlighting African-American women that are catalysts. This one has Shirley Chisholm on it, Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, who ran for president in the 70s. Um, and it's yummy. So doing good while you're drinking, you're just... It's a twofer. <laughs> twofer. <laughs> I am going to just be drinking some bourbon. And actually, I'm going to pour it. The, the nice thing about this one is that it's a very low proof. So if you see me go through the bottle, just know I'm not an alcoholic. Or actually... <laughs> I'm actually working really good for it. Um, no judgment. All right, I'm going to pop this open. Awesome. So cheers to you. Cheers. They also um, gave me a cup. So I'm going to pour it in there. Wow. Newly designed I'm cup. I'm so impressed. I need to go find that. I love, I love a good beer. So just in case folks don't know, you are the CEO of the Downtowns Women's Center, which is an amazing organization. And I, I will get to it later on. But I do, I would love for you just to really quickly explain what you guys do. We are um, physically situated in the Skid Row community of downtown Los Angeles. We've been there for 42 years. We started because unfortunately in the 70s, there was a growth of women experiencing homelessness. There are absolutely no services for them, especially in that community, which was and still is predominantly missions that were built for men. And So our founder, Jill Halverson, rectified that and started us on a pathway of of what we still continue to provide, which is a drop-in center so people can come for meals and showers and get to know us. We own and operate two buildings of permanent supportive housing. So we support the women that live in our low-income housing. We link other women to permanent housing throughout Los Angeles County. We have a health clinic on site. So they can come for primary health care, and we help women find jobs. And one way we do that is through our business called Made by Downtown Women's Center. So we have a beautiful coffee shop and a resale boutique, and we employ women to make a handmade product line of candles and soaps and various things that can be found online right now. So what's really cool, I don't know if you know, is that we gave out uh, Christmas gifts two years ago and we used your candles. Um, and oh, good. yeah, and people were really impressed by them. So mm-hmm. if our, you know, three listeners, I actually want you to know something. I want you to know something that I'm really proud of. I think our last podcast was in the top 1%. So that's, that's actually a good of all nonprofit podcasts downloaded. That's and you like, haven't done that many. That's excellent. No, I beat out 99 other percent of nonprofit podcasts. So I want you to know the problem is now you have a really high bar. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
But if those people who are listening, they are really cool products. You're helping out a wonderful cause. So definitely go to their website. Um, great, great gifts for anybody. And also you're doing a good cause, kind of like she's drinking beer and doing a good cause. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm curious because we, you know, I come from the homeless world and I'm out of it now. I don't know if I'm unhappy about that with COVID, but how in the world did you get into this space, into the homeless world? Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to do a profession that provided some good, but my only concept of that was like being a therapist. And I moved from Colorado to go to undergrad at Pepperdine, but I started volunteering at a shelter that supported women in Santa Monica. It's Ocean Park Community Center. They are now called the People Concern. One of their projects worked with adult women. That project was called Daybreak. A women's studies professor said, you should come with me. We went frequently. We cooked a meal and sat down with the women And they just captured my heart. It was just really impressed with the diversity of women that came. It certainly taught me that homelessness pretty much can happen to anyone. And I was just so impressed that they were willing to like share with a 20 year old really deep things about their life. And they seemed to enjoy sitting down for a meal together. So it really was the volunteering hooked me in and I got to collaborate with their volunteer manager and she would sign off on anything that my college classes required me to do, (laughs) which I did, but like I basically interned there for four years, (laughs) did all these interesting, cool projects and brought the women out to Pepperdine to do a few things. And, and then, I mean, this sounds nerdy, but I was really thrilled that they hired me my senior year to work weekend nights. Wow. So instead of goofing off most of my senior year, I worked weekend nights at the shelter, which meant I was paid to sleep and do my homework. I think the hardest position that I ever had to fill at the homeless shelter was the overnight weekend positions because you never <laughs> knew what they were doing and always they were sleeping. And that's always when my, my clients used to sneak out. But I am sure knowing you, you of course, you know, played by the rules and did everything you needed to do and probably were the perfect employee. I was. <laughs> <laughs> and we were allowed to sleep then. Um, but we literally, where I slept was in the office, which was a fishbowl of like windows all around and I could see the front door and I could hear if they were potentially leaving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what What is your like favorite story? Because I have some really good ones of like clients that like totally broke the rules, like not even a little bit broke the rules, but like completely, like, you caught them completely breaking the rules. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's so many endearing stories. I mean, lots of smoking inside. Yeah. Matt, I don't, I think part of what like keeps me going in this work is that I easily forget things. <laughs> 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 Just like move on and do the next thing. So I, something will probably come to me later on. It's funny because for me, those are the things that actually do keep me going, right? Like thinking about things like that um, are what keep me going. That's a question later on in the show that I want to ask you is at the end of the day, because it's so hard working in, in homelessness in the homeless field, how are you able to continue? But um, my favorite, favorite, favorite story catching one of our clients um, was they were they were young parents, right? We had a family shelter, young parents, young, young parents, they had two really great kids and they were sneaking out to go uh, to a concert. Cause we had like curfew and they like, you know, they totally were sneaking out. We caught them and I felt so bad because they were like going to like a Madonna concert or something. And I was like, Oh, I really want you to go, but I can't have you go. It was, that's my favorite story. Cause it was cute. I mean, it was for something, you know, like not terribly breaking the rules. Yeah. Okay. So you went from a weekend overnight 
to like running a homeless shelter. You are the CEO of a very large organization. And then you come from the programming space, you come from the programming world, which is usually not how CEOs get their jobs. Normally they come from what, fundraising or whatever it is. So if I'm 20 and I'm asking you, how, how do I become a CEO? Why should I become a CEO of a homeless shelter? What do you say? Mm-hmm. It's just so concretely helping people. I mean, unfortunately, by the time someone has to use homeless services, every system has failed. We're actually here for you and, and prepared. CEO is not the only option. There's so many great roles within nonprofit and in addressing homelessness in particular. Name like three things that make you the happiest being the CEO of Downtown Summit Center. Mm-hmm. I have really enjoyed, and I've always enjoyed community building and just being in relationship with people like you and supporters of the organization. But as a CEO, that's been really fun. Um, And they call it fundraising, but it really is just like talking to people. Um, And especially people that give so generously. I'm just like, who are you? (laughs) Like, Tell me more about you and what's your background and how did you come to even thinking about us? Um, so that's number one. I really like the one-on-one conversations that I get to have with really interesting Angelinos mostly. Um, two is the direct interface with the women. So, you know, our office space is directly, you know, it basically it's the second floor of a residential building and we get to see the women all the time. They can pop into our offices, open door policy. Um, so I really like being in proximity to who we serve. Um, I don't think I could do this work if I was sitting in some high-rise corporate office away from where the direct services happen. And three, I appreciate how Downtown Women's Center approaches um, implementing evidence-based practices and like really trying to do things um, so that they work. And, and my favorite practices are called trauma-informed care and housing first and harm reduction and just really trying to make sure that we do what has been researched to to work well. So you just used a ton of terms that I guarantee you half the people who are listening don't know. Trauma-informed care, evidence-based practice, housing first, all that good stuff. Um, and so when I took over the homeless shelter for foster youth, trauma-informed care was becoming a, a thing, practiced. So can you, in a nutshell, in an easy way for folks who are, who've never been in homelessness, uh, in the world explain what that means. Cause that mm-hmm. is, that's really all over the place now. Yeah. In a nutshell, what trauma-informed care means to me is a, a shift of perspective of when you see something that's like, cool, oh, you're not thinking what's wrong with that person. You're thinking what happened to that person. And it's just kind of a mind shift that allows you to understand that that person has probably experienced trauma And we now know that trauma changes your brain. Hmm. So the impact of trauma can like really make it complicated for you to do simple things like keep an appointment or think linearly or, you know, do, do step one, then step two, then step three. So in our case, if someone doesn't show up for a number of appointments, we're not like, well, you can't come here anymore. We're like, oh, something's probably happened or gone on or is more difficult, more challenging. And it's not to say that people can't heal. They can, um, especially when their environmental circumstances are better cared for. So if you have housing, 
and your basic needs are met and you're not stressed out about money all the time or something, then we find that people can from he- can heal from trauma. So I don't think that people understand, or, you know, if you've never volunteered at a homeless shelter, but there are certain rules that you have to follow in order to, you know, stay, stay as a client and trauma informed care is really interesting because Whereas it used to be like, so when I ran the, when I ran the, the homeless shelter for foster youth, one of the rules was you had to go to school within 72 hours. You had to, you had to be enrolled in school within 72 mm-hmm. hours it, or you were no longer able to be at our shelter. That went away with trauma-informed care because not all kids could, right? Yeah. So trauma-informed care is a really cool topic, really interesting whole thing, whole philosophy that is for another show. But anybody who's listening who hears trauma-informed care or wants to use it in conversation and sound really uh, connected, that's uh, something that's definitely happening right now and uh, is a big deal. So thank you for that. Hey, Matt. Hey, Amy. So sorry to interrupt. I just got off the phone with an executive director who had a question for me about who she should use for insurance for her organization. You know, Ashley, funny you should ask. My friend Malky over at IOA USA is spectacular. What he likes to say is that he is a risk management specialist. I don't think our listeners know what that means, so I'm going to tell you what that means. If you have a nonprofit, if you're an executive director, if you're a board member, you need to protect yourself. And the way that you do that is with insurance. And so if you're looking for directors and officers insurance, liability insurance, EPLI, if you don't know what that means, you should, insurance, cyber coverage insurance, Malky's your guy. So if you want to contact my friend Malky at Insurance Office of America, please give him a call. You're driving, so probably you shouldn't write this down, but it will also be on our website. If you want to reach out to Malky, his number is 818 620 6540 again, 818-620-6540. You know what, Matt? I'm going to go do two things right now. One, tell that executive director to give Malky a call. And two, look up EPLI. IOA Insurance Services, license number 0E67768. So Mm -hmm. in terms of being a CEO, so you you said that your three favorite things. What are the things that keep you up at night? It varies, but sometimes just, you know, how are we going to raise the funds to keep it all going and to be able to expand it? And there's some political pressures sometimes. Um, So that kind of can keep me up at 2 a.m. So can you maybe expand a little bit without, you know, getting yourself in trouble in terms of what that political pressure, you know, an example of political pressure that you have to deal with as a CEO of a homeless shelter? Yeah, um, I mean, we, we have received some calls from politicians that suddenly have an idea. And, um, you know, it's a partnership. So like talking through that, but what I would prefer is for them to implement my ideas, <laughs> usually. So like kind of coming, you know, hitting the middle ground of, of knowing that, you know, we're working together and, and we need government resources to solve the problem. Um, I I would say every 10 years, we really shift gears into what we did 10 years before. So like right now, people are kind of hot on shelter again, whereas the last 10 years, people were really focused on permanent solutions like permanent sport housing. I I prefer to stay in the place of permanent solutions, um, but now, we're, now we have sort of an influx of one-time use funds and people are excited about shelter again. 
there is really a difference between housing first and emergency shelter. So you go from emergency shelter, which is, you know, right away you're off the streets, you need a bed to transitional shelters, which um, really are that 18 month kind of in between to housing, mm-hmm. first, affordable housing, which is you want to stay there for as long as you can. And so just in case people don't know, um, it goes just like you said. It's like every 10 years, either they want you to spend money on emergency shelter and get people off the streets, or we don't want to do that anymore. We just want to put you into an apartment on your own. Peace out. Good luck. So if you would um, talk just a little bit, and I realize this is now a very unfair question, but there are, what, 80, 90,000 homeless people in LA. I know the homeless count kind of is all over the place, but I'm just going to go with that number and probably more because of COVID. How do you solve this problem of so many homeless people? Yeah, I struggle with that too, because it's it's just, it feels intractable sometimes. And the most recent count was closer to 60,000. But like you said, only COVID could only make this worse. Maybe the question is, what if we weren't there <laughs> too? So like, I find comfort in just knowing that like, I'm serving 5,000 women a year while we're working in collaboration with the city and county to try to like scale efforts. And what's been long overdue is the conversation about systemic racism and systemic ways that lead into homelessness. And that conversation is very present and alive right now. Um, And has been building, I've seen it, you know, shift through national conferences through like the last three to five years. And my hope is that we are starting to look upstream more and building communities that would be more resilient to never have to experience homelessness. Um, But what we know works right now, if we had enough money to do so, is daily frequent outreach to people who are living outside, providing real options, which include, hey, would you like to um, go with me to a shelter and knowing that you really have a bed that day if someone says yes. And then the financial resources to either pay for their rent with a willing landlord or a long-term subsidized unit. We didn't have this massive problem when we had HUD paying for and maintaining and building enough low-income housing. And that started to erode in the 70s and 80s. So we need like a massive federal response to make sure that housing's affordable. You have to correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while since I've been in this world, but sometime in in, uh, President Bush's first part of his first term, that was when I learned about Housing First. That was when HUD was helping us fund Housing First and getting folks into their own apartment. And what was so interesting was the goal of that was to just end homelessness, period. No more homelessness, which I was like, good, good luck. So uh, do you think that of the 60,000 people that are on the streets right now, that we really do have a chance of getting at least half of them into their own place and so they won't go back on the streets again? I mean, do you think that we can do that? I think we can. In response to COVID, we set up hotels. They're FEMA reimbursed. So we set up about 6,000 hotels, but it happened over the course of like six weeks, basically. I mean, we got a phone call um, on a Thursday, I think, and we were starting to staff a hotel of 60 women on Friday. Wow. Um, With the support of the county and LA Homeless Services Authority and other partners. So I think we really showed, like we obviously had an influx of funding for that and we showed that we could do it. We could continue to do that. I think it's been one of the most humane ways that we have worked with people in their own individual units. 
um, I was there the day that the 60 women moved in and this one woman just couldn't stop crying because she's like, oh my God, I have my own bathroom. I have my own, and just in tears, she's like, I can do my hair. I can, you know, just, there was enough, there's enough dignity when you give people the basics that they need. Living in congregate, you know, COVID has shown us, you know, the public health concerns of living in congregate shelter, but it's also really like shown us that like, it's just not the best way to treat people. I do think you need more, um, specialized care and more like long-term, like, you know, what's called boarding cares or a little more institutional help for some that really do have chronic and severe health conditions. So my proudest moment, which is what kept me going, was signing leases, getting people off yeah. to their own apartments. That really was what kept me going. The story of, of your client who had her own bathroom and like, you know, that's, that's what, those are the small victories that keep you going. So yeah. can you tell us like, I don't know, I mean, it's one of your most proud moments or accomplishments in this world, not necessarily a CEO, but mm-hmm. one of your most proud moments. Yeah. You know, so I've only worked for two nonprofits last 20 years, but what's now called the People Concern and Downtown Women's Center. And so I'd worked for the People Concern for 12 years, built a lot of relationships and, and then had the opportunity to, to grow and um, by moving to downtown women's center. And I didn't want to, it was just like kind of an awful day to tell people I was quitting <laughs> at the people concern, but there was one woman who I was so excited to tell. Um, she had lived in our shelter um, and she too was moving to the downtown women's center to live in the permanent supportive housing there. So I was like, oh, we get to go together, basically. And it was just like so heartwarming to watch her um, finally find permanent housing again, but to be able to grow with her. And she's now on staff at Downtown Women's Center. And I just feel like we've kind of had this parallel path of like every time one of us makes a little move up, we get to do it together and celebrate together. Um, But yeah, just countless times of being able to see people hold a key for the first time. The people I work with literally don't have keys. You think of what, like, when I look at my keychain, you can see, like, all the things that I have that are, you know, privileges and comforts um, and all that they represent. My own mailbox, my car, a safe home. Um, So just, like, the symbolism of people literally getting the key and holding the key. And I often hear people just talk about that moment being really profound. That's just really important, I think, for people to think about. So as you know, you're listening to this podcast and you're driving or you're at home or whatever it is, and you just are complaining about your life and how unhappy you are, take your key to your door and realize honestly how lucky you are. Every time that you walk into the house or your apartment or whatever whatever it is, and you use that key to open up that door, just remind yourself that life isn't that bad. Yeah. And I think that that's just so important. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. So for me, whenever I open up my door with my key, I will definitely think of that because there have been days during this last year of COVID. <laughs> there have been days. So I think that that's really important and a really good way to, to remember what you have. So two questions. Like The first is, I get a lot of people who always ask me, should I give money? Should I give those dollars to the folks on the side of the freeway who have those signs who are asking for money? Mm-hmm. Should I give them money? 
I know what my answer is. I won't tell you what mine is yet. What would you say? Uh, what I do is I don't frequently give money directly to people, but for some reason, sometimes I just feel really compelled or connected or, or safe too. Like, you know, you know, you need to think about your circumstances and environment and what you're willing. So I just, I think you just do what feels comfortable and feels right to you. Um, some people carry like bottles of water or snacks in their car um, or even blankets or like something more tangible. I don't care how people spend their money. I'm not worried about that. I'm just kind of like thinking about my boundaries in that moment and what feels right to me in that moment. What I did back in the day, and you'll have to tell me if there are any beds left, but what I did back in the day, because in New York and you had, it was a law, you had to have beds for it. Every single mm-hmm. home had to have a bed. You guaranteed a bed. That's not the case here in LA. And so what I would always do is I would have business cards that I would also give to my volunteers. So mm-hmm. If anybody was asking me for money, I would hand the business card and be like, here's a bed. Like, you want a bed? Here's a bed. Go find this. Um, but I also said the same thing to folks. Like, you know, people would always say, well, if I give the money, they're going to use it for booze or for drugs. And I say to them, but I use my money for booze too. Yeah, so exactly. like, it's okay. And I agree with you. I think it's a matter of does that person, do you have a connection with that person that you want to give them money? And if not, mm-hmm. don't do it. But, you know, for me, anyway, like I said, there were always beds for people to go to. Do we have enough beds in LA for all? No. Oh, no, absolutely not. So what can we do? What can we do as individuals? Like, what can we do? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Most, most nonprofits have a little card that you can hand out. Um, or there's like, um, I think on the website of United Way, there's things to print out that you can hand out as resources. Eye contact, treating people like humans, saying hello is really dignifying. Um, you know, I hear people just talk about how isolated they feel and how it just like trickles down into deeper depression, just feeling like completely, literally thrown away. You know, I think that's also the hard thing about people who haven't worked in the homeless world is that you're right. These are people just like you and me that we, that should be treated with dignity. Even Mm -hmm. if, you know, they are talking to themselves, they should still be treated with, with dignity. And so if there are not enough beds and somebody comes up to you and asks you for help, but there aren't, you're telling me the right, we don't have enough beds for folks who are homeless aside from, you know, talking to them, what can we do? I mean, is it just basically donating money to homeless shelters? Like, what can we actually do mm-hmm. to get this person into a bed if there aren't enough beds for that person? I know. Well, there there's a few outreach programs in Los Angeles right now. LA Homeless Services Authority has a portal where you can enter what information you do have about the person and the location. Um, and someone will eventually be able to come out and perhaps that person will still be there. Um And yeah, I think getting involved with organizations is one of the best ways if you really want to roll up your sleeves, Um, volunteering and certainly financially contributing. I couldn't, can't hold a CEO title and not put that out there. Um, And being a yes person in, in public forums. So if you're involved or or to start getting involved in neighborhood councils where they're frequently talking about citing low-income housing or issues related to homelessness, um, showing up to your city council meetings, calling your representatives to support low-income housing. Even if you don't know what's going on in your community, call to find out or just call to say, hey, I'm, I'm one of your, I voted for you and I support low-income housing. 
um, or solutions to homelessness. The other thing that always drives me crazy and I'm sure drives you crazy too, is that we all, we voted to pay extra taxes for affordable housing and, you know, HA, in LA anyway, not across the country. And then people are like, absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll pay taxes to build housing. But then they're like, not in my neighborhood. Yes. We build housing in our neighborhood. Okay, so here's my argument. You tell me if this is okay for me to say. I drive down the street. I live in a nice neighborhood in LA. I drive down the street and there are homeless camps underneath the freeway, just all over the place. And that's a block, a few blocks away from my house. So the question that people ask, and would you please answer this for me? But here's the thing. Let's build affordable housing for those folks to be able to go into because anyway, they're going to be under the freeway and we want them to be safe. But people will then say, well, if you build affordable housing, there'll be more homeless people that come to my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. is the answer? If you're going to spend the money to pay taxes to build affordable housing, and then you're going to be that person to say, I don't want it in my neighborhood. What's your answer? Mm-hmm. I'm telling the person that they're a real dick. What's your answer? <laughs> there is no evidence of low-income housing messing up anyone's neighborhood at all. In fact, there's some research that it can up the market value of the housing around it. You know, we're usually like working with top-notch architects and building buildings that win architectural awards and are uniquely situated in the community. So there's just no evidence that the housing is going to mess up anything. Of course, you know, it's uncomfortable to see homelessness literally outside. And because people are in survival mode, where are they going to go to the bathroom? How are they going to get, you know, their necessities without it being sort of a public experience? So People have spared me from this perspective. Like if you build it, then more will come. I mean, I have not seen a a low-income housing building built in the last 10 years that's not gorgeous and fits well into the community. And then, you know, people live inside. They're like just a neighbor like you and I are then. My shelter was in Union City and it was a homeless shelter for adults. And then we opened up, we built a family shelter and um, we also had a soup kitchen. And I remember there was like a, I don't know, like a string of robberies or something like that down the block. And I had the neighborhood council come like, like knocking on my door and demanding that we hire, you know, police and, and patrols because we were the problem. It was my clients that were breaking into their apartments. Right. And I was like, I I just remember like the next day or the day after that police actually caught who was doing it. And it was like the kids of like (laughs) the richest family in the neighborhood was like their that were breaking in. I laughed so hard. I like called those people and I was like, really? You want me now to have a patrol for, for your kids? It was, it was <laughs> the best. So I get so mad at people who are just such hypocrites who will pay for it and say that they'll pay for it, but don't want it in their neighborhood. And you're right. This is, they're just, they're dicks. I'm putting that, I'm putting that word in your mouth. I know you didn't say <laughs> that they were dicks, but they're dicks. So uh, let's move on from homelessness because I want to talk a little bit about you and uh, I need to re-pour my glass. Also, I don't know if I told you, I wore jeans for you today. Did I tell you that? I put on jeans. You dressed up. I did. I dressed up for you and I took off my pajamas, but I'm going to just be honest. I can't button my top button because of COVID. (laughs) 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 So I'm wearing jeans for you, but I am not buttoned all the way up. Um, But that's okay. I hope that you're okay with that. So I mean, I've I've decided that pants with the zipper are oppressive. (laughs) <laughs> These days, it's like the corset equivalent. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> what are we going to do when we have to go back to the office? I want I want the dress code to change so all of us can wear sweatpants. Yeah. Well, that was my... So I just became CEO last February at Downtown Women's Center. 
And like three weeks later, right, we started to maybe four or five realize what was going on. And right before the stay at home orders came on, I woke up and I was like, oh, hell no, I am not getting dressed up today. And then I was like, oh, I'm the CEO. And I wrote everyone and like changed the dress code. <laughs> for you. Like we got things to do. Like, <laughs> it's casual Friday from now on. <laughs> I, I just cannot believe that you got the CEO position like literally a minute before COVID. That's impossible. That's not fair. That's just like not fair. That's like, hey, congratulations. You become the CEO of this organization. Oh, shit. By the way, there's COVID. Just FYI. Right. Good luck. It's like the world's <laughs> worst calamity. And that's, that's horrible. Uh-oh, I think it's that time for Matt's planning across the country. I can't believe it's happening, but it's happening. Ashley, what is our burning question from the country? I'm sorry, I'm just I'm just dancing to the music for a second. Okay, yes, um, Matt, our listener wants to know, Matt, I am interested in board service. Can you give me any suggestions? Please, Matt, explain me. So uh, what a great question to our listener. And again, what a great way for me to plug Envision Consulting. So if you want to join a nonprofit board, first of all, figure out what it is that you're passionate about, what it is that you want to spend time volunteering for and also donating to. That's really important. And then I would tell you to go to our website at envisionnonprofit.com and look up Cause Cupid. We do national get-togethers across the country to bring together nonprofit organizations and people who want to join boards and let them mingle. Since we are now in COVID, this is all done digitally, but as we come out of COVID, it will be done again over happy hour. Because as you know, Ashley, we like to drink. So please go again to envisionnonprofit.com, look up CauseCupid, you will find nonprofits that you might be interested in joining. Also, if you are a nonprofit out there looking for board members, it's a great way to post your nonprofit. So one way or another, go to CauseCupid if you're looking for a nonprofit board to join, or if you are a nonprofit looking for board members. Thank you. Thank you to our listener. What a great way for me to plug my company yet again. So let's talk a little bit about you um, and kind of just a little bit more about, um, you know, some of the things that people would want to know about you. So if I am at a bar and your best friend is sitting next to me, she's laughing hysterically and she said, that's so Amy. What is <laughs> so Amy? Um, being late to understanding the joke <laughs> or having to like ask, what, what did you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So then my jokes aren't going to land with you at all. So we'll we'll <laughs> I have no shame. And you're going to be like, this is the world's worst interview. How do you do it? <laughs> um, uh, okay. And then if you were not doing nonprofit, I mean, this is your life. You've been doing it since you were in college and you're a licensed uh, social worker and all that good stuff. But if you were not a nonprofit, if this was not what you were doing, what else would you be doing? Uh, I have no idea. I don't feel qualified to do much else, um, but potentially maybe something in politics or I, I kind of want to round out my career, like going back to the front lines of like case management or therapy or just like clinical consultation and clinical support and staff need so much support. Having done the similar work for 20 years, it's hard to think about <laughs> doing anything else. 
before you went to college? Like, I'm sure we, because we were all asked as kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? I mean, I'm assuming you didn't say, oh, I want to run a homeless shelter. So what, what, like when you were a kid, what did you think that you were going to be doing? Um, I remember my parents taking me to SeaWorld and then I wanted to be a dolphin trainer That's cool. for a long time. Cool. I can actually see you. I can see you. People can't see you. I can see you, but I could totally see you jumping out of the water with those dolphins. I could totally see you doing that. You have like that face to be like at SeaWorld, but okay. That would be fun. So maybe I mean, in a few years, you know, when COVID goes away and you've like said, I'm done, I'm done with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you could go and dive in with the dolphins. Kind of what I want to do right now, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. What about, um, you know, as you said, a huge part of the role of being a CEO or an executive director of a nonprofit is fundraising. So if you can say, who's the most famous person that you've interacted with because of fundraising? Um, oh, gosh, maybe this is what my friend would say at the bar that I'm also not good at is, is the celeb side. Thankfully, they don't like make me nervous. Um. This is totally dorky, but like researchers. <laughs> researchers are not celebrities. I know, they'll make me nervous. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I read but your like, work for so long. Okay, I'm going to give you my story and then you tell me. So um, did you ever watch Married with Children? Yes. Okay, so, you know, Katie Seagal was Peggy and, mm -hmm. and Katie Seagal joined my board um, of the foster youth organization that I ran. And I remember, because I don't really get like, I, mean, I grew up in LA, so I don't, I don't get that excited. But for whatever reason, I thought she was awesome. And I remember driving around with her and I was like, you're Peg Bundy. Like, I, 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 I'm totally starstruck. She was so cool. Because I was like, I was like, you're like, I mean, I was kind of geeking out in the car and she was like, calm down, dude. Like, I'm just like you. Like, let's let's move on. And it was just really cool. <laughs> if she was somebody that I met that was famous that I thought was pretty cool. Uh -huh. uh, and I also had a, I also um, had the opportunity to, to do a rock concert when I was running the Foster Youth. And we had Slash and Ozzy Osbourne and Billy Idol and um, all these folks who were performing. But I will tell you that um, Slash was a really cool guy to get to know. Totally mm -hmm. down really cool not what you would expect necessarily from like a major musician okay yeah your turn um where uh, at the people concern we jason bateman came through for a tour i did get a little smithen then um, i have a big big crush on that guy he's very handsome but he's very, I mean, cute. He's very handsome all right so that's just, so your type is jason bateman <laughs> what was that day um <laughs> We are currently working with the cast of Insecure, uh, Natasha Rothwell in particular. Oh, I like her. I like yes. her a lot. She has emceed a couple of our dinner galas. Um, she's fabulous. She would be, really I, feel, I feel like she'd be like, she's like my girl crush. I feel like if I was yeah. straight, she's really cool. I like yeah. her. I can, I can see that. All right. I've asked you about like homeless accomplishments and everything, but in terms of like fundraising accomplishments, what is the ask? that you were like the most proud of? A couple of weeks ago, a crew from a, they were filming something down the road. They were like, we're here. We want to do something. We thought maybe at best they would help us buy cell phones, which is a huge need for the women right now through COVID. Um, but they just provided $40,000 for meals instead. And I was like, well, we can do more with that. <laughs> Last year, I sent a very simple one page request to someone and it resulted in a few hundred thousand dollars and it was very simple and the person I don't even really know who they are they are not 
accepting any of my asks for a visit, a phone call, anything. (laughs) But that kind of frustrates me too. I'm like, who are you? I want to know you. And not like, I want to, I don't want to unknow you, but (laughs) what, what motivates this generosity? Um, I mean, the reputation that I got to inherit at the downtown women's center is really special. And I, I take that very seriously. So we are just kind of magically blessed here and there by some really generous people. That's cool. Without giving too much away. I mean, you and I, um, were very young when we were running organizations and that's not lost on me. And I had some really big learning opportunities where like, I didn't know, for example, I didn't know that there was a law between like exempt and non-exempt. Like I, you know, I had some things on the, on the job that I wish I had known prior to me making those decisions. So is there like, and is there something that you like could go back in time to like you, I cannot believe you just did this. Is there something that like, you know, you're just so embarrassed that you did, but now is a learning opportunity that you can like tell our listeners so that they don't do it. Oh yeah. I, you know, you remember the moments where people are giving you critical feedback more than the good stuff at the shelter many years ago. Um, a client was threatening to run up to to the admin offices a few blocks away. And I really thought she was going to do that. And I just wanted them to know. So I called the CEO and I was like, FYI, this person might show up, but it caught my director off guard. (laughs) (laughs) She was at, my director was at that building with the CEO and they asked her about the circumstance. She had no idea what they were talking about. So she was caught off guard, felt embarrassed and, came back and she's like, why didn't you just call my cell phone? Like, did you really just like escalate this five steps up above your head when it wasn't really a crisis? So I think there's been moments where I just kind of like act impulsively because I'm like, people got to know this is really urgent. And like, and it's not. Yeah. I, I will tell you what I did that. I'm still like, I want to like hide under the floor. It's so embarrassing. I can't believe I did this. There was a woman who ran another organization in New Jersey who was loved by the community. And I was furious because something happened that I heard through a game of telephone. And I was so mad that I sent an email to like 150 people. And it was like in response to her, like she had sent an email. It was, something happened with one of our clients there and they were sent back because they smelled. It was something. It was something so stupid. But I was so furious that happened that I not only, I emailed her back, but I CC'd the entire homeless community leaders. And I was like, I can't believe you did this, blah, blah, blah. And like, it wasn't true. If I can go back in time, never, oh, yeah. the answer is never reply all. Never, ever reply all. Ever, 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 ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. Be careful in your emails. I worked an event that I wrote in an email to a colleague was like a stuffy uppity West side lady of it. <laughs> and that staff member accidentally in the response, it ultimately the stuffy uppity women got included on my email where I labeled them that <laughs> a reminder to be like super. How did they respond when they, I mean, did they see that? I called her immediately. I said, you have an email sitting in your inbox. And all I can say is I'm really sorry. And I'd be happy to talk to you further about it. <laughs> Which by the way, I called you this uppity, terrible person, FYI. So <laughs> yeah. you can't go back from that. Like, there's nothing you could do. You that's, can't. that's amazing. I love everything about that story. Uh, again, check your email. So uh, you know, going back to the series for a second, I mean, doing your job is, I'm glad you're drinking. I just saw this only the second time you've had some beer. Uh, doing your job is impossible. 
it's impossible. And it's those small wins that get us going. So like, especially in LA, especially with the homeless crisis that we have, what are the things that keep you going? I mean, just seeing the women, the, the people that we serve are really special and building relationships with them. I really like my job and I always have. So I have fantastic colleagues. It's a privilege to get to do the work. I, I had to get out. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't run anymore. I couldn't run my shelter anymore. I just, it was too much for me and I needed to just get into consulting and be able to like finish. And I just am so impressed. And for people like you who can continue to do it and not lose their minds, mm-hmm. I don't think people understand like being an executive director, CEO of a nonprofit, especially a homeless shelter is almost impossible from the citizens of LA, I thank you. I hope they understand really honestly what you do every day. So, okay. Is there anything else that you want folks to know about you or about Downtown's Women's Center uh, that you want to share that you think they should know? We love to show off the center. I love to do tours. Um, We literally exit through the gift shops. You are guaranteed time in our cafe and gift shop and we can sit down for a cup of coffee. It's not what you imagine, especially when you think of the Skid Row community. So beautiful space to be together. It's really hard to not physically be in that space all the time. And, you know, contrary to this podcast, I could probably talk about topics other than homelessness too. So. <laughs> what did I, what did I, Maybe, you, tell you, me, you tell me because obviously I'm not doing my job. So what else, <laughs> uh, what else do you want to talk about? <laughs> I know you already mentioned, I think it's so important for people to understand that, you know, obviously treat homeless people with dignity, even when they're asking you for money, you know, there's, there's a reason why. Is there something that, you know, you want folks to know, um, to really think about when they're driving, when they're walking, when they're going by homeless people, whatever, whatever it is, you know, because I know, I know what I'm, what I think when I, when I'm walking down Skid Row, whatever it is, but what do you want people to, when, what do you want people to think? What do you want people to know? And what do you want people to remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's an opportunity to get a little more in touch with yourself. What are the biases that are coming up for you? Um, what are you thinking and why? And like to challenge that, like to use it as an opportunity to grow. I think part of why this works so rewarding is that I feel like I get more personal benefit. You know, whether I'm, I may not share that with who I'm serving necessarily. I mean, I'm, share gratitude and appreciation for people but like it's really making me hopefully a better person and I hear that from our volunteers a lot and from our staff too just like you get to grow as a person when you're faced with watching so many challenges I like that a lot okay so two last things and then I'm going to let you go because I've kept you for a very long time um, and you have way more than of an important job to do than talk to me so when COVID goes away what's something that you're going to do different that you learned over the last year that you've actually enjoyed? Mm -hmm. I think it really focused our values. Um, And, and for us, like it's spending like, you know, really prioritizing our parents, which we were doing before too, but keeping that up. I like working from home (laughs) to some degree. I'm going to, I think I'll do it. We're going to move to a hybrid model. We also don't have enough desk space and parking spots for everyone when we're actually all in site. Knock on wood and very thankful, of course, but I haven't been sick this year. So I'm going to keep up those health practices. <laughs> so I'm, I think about like, 
because like what you talked about not having kids so we don't have kids either and i can't imagine during all this living with your kids because like i don't like people enough anyway to be with somebody all day long that's why i tell my husband to go to the office as much as he can because it's hard for me to be around him every day but um but i will tell you that we are blessed as you said i have that key i can walk into my house i can look at that key we are blessed and I think people have to remember. So I hope that's the one thing that people take away from this inter- from this interview is that, A, there's always going to be people who have more and there's always going to be people who have less. And we yeah. really should as best we can because we all want more. Everybody wants more and that's okay. But I just hope that we all can appreciate how lucky we are, whatever that means. Yeah. Because even if you live with 10 other people in a one bedroom apartment, you're still doing a lot better than a lot of the folks in the world. So I think that was really important to keep in mind. So thank you. Well, I would love for you to just tell people, I know we've talked about it, but where can people go to get more involved or to make a donation to Downtown Women's Center? Type in downtownwomencenter.org. Downtown Women's Center. Downtown Women's Center. Okay, I hope everybody on here goes online, makes a donation, reads a little bit more about your organization, about you, learns about trauma-informed care, writes you an email with a semicolon, and just, you know, the next time that they walk walk on the street, they meet somebody homeless, treat them with dignity. This is what I got out of today. Yeah. And, you know, the, the how lucky we are. Thank you very much, Amy. You were a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I so look forward to having you at the bowl with me. Yeah, we, I'm so glad we have a 2022 date. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So this was a jam-packed episode, our very first commercial, which I am really proud of us. I mean, we were the ones who did it. So maybe next time we should spend a little bit more money to hire somebody to do it, right? Because we're still, we're still not great. Well, or at least like, let's let me use an accent so that they think we've hired somebody. Uh-oh. Good idea. If we're going to stick with mediocre, I mean, your accents are mediocre, but that's okay. People, people can just pretend. How can just dare pretend. you, Matt? I really take offense. Wait, who, who is that? Who just popped in here? <laughs> I think we need to take a poll. We'll take, that's it. Our next poll on the nonprofit guy on Twitter is going to be, is Ashley's accent believable? What do you think? I don't know who this Ashley is. I remember her British cousin, Sylvia. All right, All right Sylvia, thank you. I can I can stick up for myself, Sylvia, but I do appreciate this sentiment. So on this, we talked about, like I said, our very first commercial with Malky of Insurance Office of America. I definitely hope you guys reach out to him, do a little research. He's a great guy. And I'm not just saying that because he's our first paid advertiser. The second thing that I'm, again, so excited about is the Max Wayne across the country. And I do hope that if you guys actually listened to it, didn't press that 15 second or 30 second fast forward not to listen to me anymore. I think that it was pretty amazing. Don't you, Ashley? Yes. And our listeners out there, anyone who's still listening, if you want to be Matt Splained, if you have a question, a burning question that could benefit from Matt Splaining, contact me, please. You can contact us through our Instagram or at envisionnonprofit.com through our website. I do also want to say, Ashley, because I think it's important that you don't get any angry emails that people are mad about the term matsplaining. If I get angry emails, I will just forward those right on to you. So that I can matsplain those people, right? <laughs> there 
is no better use of a mat splain than in response to an angry email <laughs> about mat splaining. Oh God, people are totally going to stop listening to this show. That's it. We've just offended our very last listener. I know we have. We've got no one. No one left. I hope that that's not the case because our next podcast in two weeks is with Edward Tepborn, who is the executive director of Angel Island Immigration Station Foundation, which is located in San Francisco Bay, and it served as the immigration port between 1910 and 1940. Really cool podcast. I promise it will be enjoyable. Mm-hmm.